Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Isn't amazing, right? And can I actually ask us to stand? We do this periodically every time, not every time, but when we read the Word of God. And actually, we love the Word of God here. I think it doesn't matter what word it is, if it's one word or chapters, the Word of God is powerful. So let's read the Word of God together from John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started um, for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. So Lord, we come, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for this story that changes everything. Not just a story, Lord, but the greatest gift and act of generosity this world has ever seen. We praise you, King. We give you glory and honor tonight. Thank you that we don't just celebrate the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday, but every day, every morning, every moment. We glorify your name, God. Amen. Can you take your seats, guys? It is an absolute privilege to be together. We have had an amazing, amazing weekend. Actually, it's been quite a massive weekend. We advertised six services, but there's been actually seven. Um, since Friday, as the team went into Danoon yesterday, and the Site 5 team ministered beautifully in Danoon, which was incredible. I wasn't actually able to be there, but incredible, incredible time. But we've had amazing things. We've seen salvations. We've seen God bring families together, and we celebrate every one of those things. I really want to take a moment just to thank and honor the teams that make this possible. Church is not about the gift of the few. It's actually about the sacrifice and the service of many. And um, I specifically, where's Josh? Where are you, buddy? This oak has been drumming his lungs out for weeks, and, and he's actually, he's got a few things going for him. He's got a girlfriend. Oh, there we go. He's studying. He's got family that love him, and yet actually he serves us 
profoundly. Getting here early, which for a young 18, 19 year old guy is not always the easiest. He's not always unbelievably successful at that, if we're being fair, Joshy. <laughs> but actually, I just want to honor you, Jerry, and, and all the guys that have served. I mean, see Arthur Preston, a, a man who oversees a number of schools, actually serving on Friday, serving today with his family at church this morning. I'm going, oh God, my heart's full. I can, we can fight battles with these people. And I really just want to honor you guys. Arthur, thank you, Bud, and the rest of the team. Louise, I mean, I don't know where this chick gets all her energy, but it's just, it's like supernatural. And it just never wanes. It never gets less. It just gets more. I think the more tired she gets, it just gets more. And so I'm really grateful to God for these amazing stories and really for, for the privilege we get to do life in church together and see the hand of God move and bring stories and salvation. I love that. There's that um, quote, Abraham Kaper, there's not a square inch of all humanity over which God does not shout. Mine. Not one square inch of all humanity over which God doesn't shout mine. Every person, every race, every religion, every story, they are his. And today is a day where we are reminded as we come to the reality of this story that actually this day, this moment, the gospel, the rising and the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. And if we don't have that as believers of Jesus Christ, we have nothing. Every time we pray for the sick, we have no power if we don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Every time we come and we gather and we pray for men and women to raise their hands and their lives to make Jesus Lord, we have nothing unless we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So when we sing that song, we believe. I believe in Christ, our Savior. There's power. But actually, it's been a rough weekend for some in Tableview this weekend. We just got to get some family business out the way. It's been a bit of a rough. Maybe we could just show, I prayed all morning, got up early to serve the sheep, you know, in preaching and just serve. And I get to my car and it kind of looks something like this, wrapped in glad wrap from top to bottom. Now, I wasn't the only one who suffered this riotous fate. This weekend, Gabe's gate was glad wrapped shut. He had to scale the walls of his garden to get out. Others, post-its everywhere, all over. Others, there were more. Who else? There was more. It's just lots of rebellion, actually, in the house. But the Lord... And my neighbor's surveillance camera will reveal all. So we're not rushing to any conclusions like the Australian Cricket Board. We're not going to do that. We're going to wait for the video evidence of the car tampering, and then we'll bring it to the church. It would be the right thing to do. Seems it is Easter. And we will just navigate from there. Is that all right? Really helpful. Really good. So, yeah, if it was you, live in fear. But other than that, um, (laughs) because as they say in the classics, the road is long, but the wheel is round and it will come back in. But actually, this is an amazing, amazing week. Before I jump into everything that God has for us tonight, Roscoe and Joe, Sharon, Roscoe's mom, it's actually an amazing, amazing week. And I got to sit with these guys this week and hear more of their story. And this is a great, great story and test me off. I'm not going to put you on the spot tonight, but we are going to hear your story. And they get married on Friday in this church. And... Um, and I just want to say we're so proud of you guys. I just heard the story of God's hand in and through, through an encounter with Ron and Kara, and then, and then this amazing Mariette and Deline, and just all these amazing, all these people that have been involved in this story. I'm just amazed by the goodness and the grace of God, but you have chosen to say yes at every turn. You've said yes, and, and the order and the peace of God comes in, and we are so proud of you guys, and want to celebrate what God is doing with you, so have an amazing, amazing, not day, but years ahead. And so we're excited for you guys. All good. 
Wonderful, wonderful. I had an interesting week, and I shared some of them this morning. I met one of my neighbors from my street this week, and she had a, said to my wife, I'd like to talk to your husband. So my wife says, you've got to talk to one of your neighbors. They've got a question for you. Didn't say what it was about. Said, you want to talk to the pastor? It's always an interesting conversation. And the conversation started like this. Thank you. I'd love to speak. I believe in science. It's always an interesting opening line with the pastor. Like, what do you do with that? Awesome. I don't. <laughs> you know that. And um, we went on a conversation, and, and it was interesting because her statement to me was this. She says, I've watched you guys, and you seem like a person who doesn't need that stuff. I mean, I think that's a compliment in an interesting way. It's kind of a compliment. But I left that conversation. We agreed we're going to have coffee in the next week or two, and we're going to chat about science and God and how God is king. But that was my viewpoint. And then I met another guy, and we had an interaction with a man this week, and he was a little bit grumpy with me and a little bit grumpy with the church, and I kind of represent everything of the church, so he just thought he'd dump it all on me. And his final line of his SMS was, I really don't get you lot. That was the final, and I said, hashtag blessed, love you, have an amazing weekend. And um, it was amazing. But here's the thing about Easter. You don't need to get me. You don't need to get how the church does church. You don't need to get what, it's, what everything means. Why do they pass these bucks? You actually, the most important thing is you don't get all that stuff. What you need to get, though, to my neighbors and to our friends in the suburbs, is that Jesus is king, and he died on a cross at the hands of the ones he created, so that you and I could find life. Because outside of him, there is no life. There might be what looks like life in this side of eternity. It might look like life. It might look like a whole bunch of stuff, but in the light of eternity, it is not life. And it's not freedom. And Easter is really important for us, not just as the church, but in the mission of the church. See, we worship a God didn't play by the rules. He came he died on a cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. Yeah. I want to say to you today, if you are here and it's, it's your annual stop at church, one gentleman came to me on Friday mornings and I said, how's it? My name's Mark. He said, awesome. My name's this. He says, no, but this is my church. I said, oh, that's awesome. He said, yeah, I come here on Easter, Good Friday, and I come here on Christmas. This is my church. I said, that's awesome, but God's got more for you. God's got more for you, sir. And for some people, maybe even got dragged here tonight to the promise of food afterwards by an parent, or I don't know why you're here, but there is a king on the other side of why you're here. There is a reality of love that is so magnanimous and so big, we struggle to comprehend it. And I sing these songs of him dying on a cross, and I'm overwhelmed again that he would do that. And I can tell you now it was for much more than religion. Much more than just the world needs another religion. I'm going to die on a cross so the world can get another religion. The world doesn't need more religion. The world needs Jesus. And so we are passionate about Jesus. We are passionate about his life and we are passionate about his death. And I would say whatever brought you here tonight, Jesus died for you. Charles Spurgeon summed his whole theology up in these four words. Jesus died for me. And I would say he died for you. And he rose again for you too. And there are a couple of things on the weekend. I'm not going to speak about all the points I spoke about this morning. But first of all, I, I had the picture of the cross. I'm, enamored by the, I, I'm captivated by the cross. It's brutal. Guys show the passion and say how brutal it is. It was far more brutal than Mel Gibson could ever show on a big screen. From the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, Isaiah 52 says he was beyond recognition. 
his face, his body, his back, his arms scarred and scraped as whips would have whipped across him and blood would have poured out, covered in blood, beyond recognition. And then the creator of all allows creation to hammer nails through his feet into a piece of wood, thinking that would keep him on that tree. And those nails were my sin. Those nails were my shame. Those nails were my unforgiveness, my inability to forgive. A simple thing like forgiveness. Yes, a simple thing. How do I know? Because Jesus on the cross modeled something so profound for us. As those nails were hammered in, as his blood was pouring out, as he looked to the Father, his final words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what, we do, what they do. And we go around self-justifying why I should be grumpy with this person or why I should be grumpy with this family member or why my parents didn't give me the best. No, look at Jesus. And when we sing songs of make him Lord and Savior, make him Lord and do what he asks by forgiving people. Otherwise, that unforgiveness becomes a nail that keeps us logged to a tree and we become unable to live life. Jesus wasn't stuck to a tree and started barking orders about his kingdom. He got off that tree. He broke three of those nails with the scars in his hands so that I never have to have those scars in my hands because I deserve them. And Romans says, you do too. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and we all deserve nails through our hand. And the Easter story is about a savior who said, actually, I will die for them. I will leave the perfection of heaven and come to earth and live a life they could not live and die a death they will not die. So because I will set them free. People struggle with this. I know that. We have a savior who identified with us in every way. Father, forgive them. It wasn't easy for him to say. I'm captivated just before the cross. There's the scene Jesus has his disciples around and he takes the clothes off his back, gets on his knees and washes all the disciples' feet. Yes, the ones who loved them. Yeah, the ones who loved them. He also loved the one he knew would betray him, who'd already cut a deal to send him to the cross. He washed his feet too. And then he took those same dirty robes and he put them on himself again and ate a meal. Why? Because the heart and the love of Jesus is so big. Part of the gospel story is will you allow the bigness of the cross to break into the smallness of your heart and my heart so that forgiveness doesn't become an impossible task. Forgiveness becomes an everyday reality for a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. Will you allow that to happen? The cross challenges that to us. And then there's this picture of Jesus, and it's a, it says he's in this tomb, and, and the tomb is described as everyday tomb, was four to six feet high, and a two-ton um, stone rolled in front of the tomb. But what is amazed about this tomb, I never understood, was that it was rolled into a groove that was cut. I thought they could just roll it away. If they could roll it there, surely they could just roll away. No, they would roll it into this groove to make it desperately hard, and you would need a team of men, a regiment of men to come and push that tomb away, that stone away as it was rolled into this groove, and I'm focusing on things, saying, God, I've sat with so many people who've worshipped you for so long, and it seems like there are these grooves, that these stole, stones have been rolled in place. Oh, Mark, you don't know my dad. You talk about the Father in heaven, and you expect me to get it. I nearly fell off the stage there, so I'm going to keep <laughs> You talk about this Father of how much more in heaven, but you don't know my dad. He's failed me at every turn. Actually, the truth is, I don't even know my dad. 
How can you tell me to worship a father who is so gracious and glorious? The Bible describes in Ephesians the glorious father. Who here would describe their father as glorious? Anyone? I've never heard someone describe their earthly father as glorious. And then the apostle Paul had a revelation of the father in heaven as glorious. But you don't know my Father on earth, and I'm back to this person. I'm in a counseling meeting. I've been saved for 30 years. You don't know my Father in heaven, and I can just see a stone that Jesus is wanting to roll away, but they cannot get out of the groove. No, the gospel has to be broken, and the gospel breaks the power of the groove in our life. What's the groove in your life? See, everyone focused on the stone, but that stone could be moved. What's the groove? that the gospel needs to break in? What's the groove that the revelation that Jesus got off a cross, walked out of a tomb, alive, having taken the beating at the hands of his creation so that you and I can live life. The message of Easter is live life. Live life. Don't wait for death to live. Don't save your best years of burning for Jesus in heaven. Oh, I'm gonna worship Jesus with my lungs out in heaven. I'm going to give him all my praise. I'm going to make all those good decisions. Why save it for heaven? There's going to be so much light in heaven. You're saving it for a place that doesn't need your light to shine. Jesus is there. Let your light shine in a place that needs your light to shine. The message of Easter is live life now. Access the life you have in heaven. But where I want to jump to tonight and move ahead a little bit is the picture that the tomb is empty. And I think the best thing about Easter is I think many people get off their cross. They, they're able to deal with their nails. I get enough of Jesus that my nail separates from the tree. But I live my life stuck in a tomb and I make my tomb really good. I make my tomb really clever. I paint it up. I put an aircon in my tomb. I get used to it. Tombs of misery. Tombs is a, is a place where people stop living because of pain, because of regret, because of despair, and we get pulled into places of smallness, pulled back right up into small places called tombs. We put nice names to them, like success. Like I'm just a really hard worker. Now, I had a tomb in my life. I've grown up Christian most of my life. I don't have years of drug abuse in my story. I don't have years... Of, of pain, I was never abused as a child, and I'm grateful to God for all of those things, but it doesn't mean the enemy doesn't bring opportunities for tombs to enter my story, and it doesn't mean he hasn't brought them in yours. And when I was 19 years old, a, a potential tomb got brought into my life, and I entered it. As my parents, who I grew up under privilege and, and had amazing privileges of having both parents around and, and, and having food on the table, at 19 lost everything. When I was 19, they lost everything overnight. I didn't even know we were in trouble. Came and took the house, took furniture, took everything, to the point that I even, I got a phone call from a friend's mother who has an auction, and at the auction, they were selling my birthday thing my mother had made with all my photos, baby photos in it. So she bought it for me because she felt bad for me. They took everything. And all of a sudden, there was a tomb created in my life that wasn't there the day before liquidation. But in one moment and one action and one decision and one reality of this world, a tomb has created my world and I started creeping into that tomb. I can't trust God with my future. For years I've worshipped him, but I can't trust him with my future. I can't trust him with finances. I've got to work really hard. And I started working really hard. I started getting promoted in the marketplace. I started finding favor. And everyone's going, you are such a good Christian. You're working really hard. You're being really good with the gifts God's given you. 
You're being really faithful. You're working really, really hard. And I'm going, if you only knew that I'm in a tomb, a tomb of brokenness, a tomb of not trusting my heavenly father, a tomb of fear that it's not going to work out and I don't know if I can trust him with tomorrow. And then the spirit of God comes in to the tombs of our lives and says, now let me show you Jesus again who didn't stay in a tomb. He's out of the tomb and he's giving you the ability and he's given you the ability to come out of every tomb the enemy presents in your life. Everyone. And you encounter the love of God again and you're reminded in his truth of his word as he reminds us that our God is faithful. He is the father of how much more. He holds our children in his hands. I am not responsible for everything in my child's life. There is a father who is far committed, far more committed to my children than I am. Is the father in heaven. It doesn't mean I don't work hard. It doesn't mean I don't provide. It doesn't mean I'm not faithful in every way I can be. But there is a God in heaven who has far more ability to be faithful to them, who has far more ability to provide for them. And I have to trust him. And I've got to come out of my tomb and live in a place of victory to understand God has done this on a cross. He got off, he got in a tomb, he took a hundred pounds of gray clothes off and he walked out of that tomb so that I could keep walking out of tombs. And tombs come up. What's your tomb today, sir or ma'am? My wife's in the back with kids serving and kids tonight. I'm watching her navigate a road of pain that is a potential tomb for her because I can see the pain coming on. And I can see her getting sore. And I can see despair wanting to creep in. And then I watch her throw herself into the word of God. And I watch her throw herself in the promises of God. And I watch her throw herself into the goodness of our God is. And I watch her overcome the tomb of pain by the goodness of God. And live from victory even though there is still pain. What's your tomb, sir or ma'am? Well, you don't know where I'm from and with the, the situation, my parents, maybe, maybe you've had to travel far. Maybe you've had to run from situations. No, no, the Bible says that God has changed. That your, your what's the, I forgot that scripture. Mm. I've got it here, hold on. It's a goodie. No, not that one, but that's a good one, Gabe, as well. That really is a great scripture. Thank you, Gabe. There was no help at all. It's encouraging, though. I want to find the scripture for you. Is that all right? Take my time. Okay, thanks, Gabe. I will find the scripture. Where is it? I can't find it. Oh, that's awkward. We're going to carry on anyway. It says, actually, the gospel breaks into my, to my, my, my story. I love the lineage of Jesus in Matthew. People just like, oh, well, that's just a whole bunch of names. I'm just going to move on. Now, in that story, there are prostitutes. In that story, there are broken people. In that story, there are a bunch of sinners. They're in the lineage of the Savior of the world. And I'm going, God restores his family lineages. Don't tell me the caves that you should be in because of the brokenness of your family lineage. Thank you. That's the one. Don't tell me that, that I'm limited because of what no, I've got a friend whose mother was a prostitute on Point Street in Durban. And his dad was a Greek sailor. She met him once and he was conceived. And he is this man, he's, like a, he's built like a Greek kind of, one of those Greek God dudes in the movies. Fit, strong, tanned, healthy. And yet he lived with this brokenness that his dad was a Greek sailor, didn't give a hoot about him, didn't even know he existed. And he ended up writing a book from picking, Pickering to Picking a Ring. Pickering is the worst street in Durban. 
if you've lived in Durban. It's worse than Point Road. It's, it's the street. He said from Pickering, where he grew up, to picking a ring for his wife, who was head girl of a school, who'd never had a boyfriend, who was pure, loved by God. I'm going, God, you don't determine by my background. You pull us out of the caves and you tell us to run. Why? Because we are sons and daughters of the king who are seated on his throne and we live from a place of victory. We live from victory. And God calls us to the story. He says, actually, I want to pull you into the story. Why? Because the evidence of the grace of God and the victory of Jesus Christ wasn't a cross. It was an empty tomb. And the evidence of my life and the evidence of God's victory in my life is not the crosses that I've hung on. It is the tombs that are empty behind me. I'm telling you, God's calling us to have multiple empty tombs behind us. And we keep pointing back. Don't point the back to, oh, that time, that person nailed me. Stop focusing on the nails. Focus on what Jesus has done. And the victory has called you to and allow him to walk you out of brokenness. Stop celebrating the tomb. I sit with people all the time, and they make the tomb sound so nice. I am so justified in being really angry with this person. Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. Well, let me tell you what they did to Jesus. And then you tell me if they did that to you. And trust me, guys, I get the same way. We've all sat there on Facebook and you typed out that really snotty message about telecom when they didn't answer your call. And you're sitting, you just wondering, and you're going, ah, no, it's not who I am. See, who I am is a son, daughter of the living God. Who I am is someone called to change the atmosphere of not just a church, but a nation and the nations of this world. Why? Because I'm pulled out of darkness, the tombs, and into light to live life. Start living life. Thank you. Two guys in the front row who just happened to be employed by the church as well. <laughs> but what do tombs look like, guys? And I want to major on this. Well, tombs look like secret sin. Secret sin. Oh, I'm just, if I just manage it, it won't really affect my life. No, it's a tomb you are chiseling out. It's a tomb the enemy has convinced you to chisel it out of stone. And eventually, you just get pulled deeper and deeper into it, and you don't know how you got there, and you've made it look so nice, and you're telling everyone, it's so nice in here, and you forget that you're in a prison. Sin does that. Sin doesn't take us to the spacious places. Sin doesn't take us to the mountaintop. Sin takes us back into the tomb. And the grave clothes get put back on us and we start to stink in ways we could not realize. And we realize we're there by the stench of our environment. And we go, how did I get here? Well, I took step by step in sin. You know what else keeps us in the tomb? And Galatians does this beautifully. Religion. Religion. I just tick the box of Christian on the census. I just tick the box of Christian in my life. I tick the box of Christian and Easter, and I tick the box of Christian at December and at Christmas, and that way I'm all good with God, and we're good, because some preacher said it's all done in that moment. I'm going, yes, well, actually, I do believe that when we make decisions to run, but actually, God isn't calling you to live with your fire insurance from hell in the back of a tomb, going, I'm so broken in here, but one day in heaven, I'll enter into freedom. He's saying, no, live life now, come out of the tomb because Jesus came out of the tomb for you, for your today, not just your tomorrow, for your now, not just your next year, for your singleness, not just one day when I have someone in my life and I walk free from pornography, one day when, no, you won't because it's a tomb that is so attractive to you. Live free now. 
And there's nothing that keeps us in tombs like guilt and shame. It's just nothing that keeps us. Isaiah said, but we were pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The punishment that brought us peace. Do you have peace? It's such a precious commodity. Do you have peace? Can we close our eyes just for a second? I just want to ask you a question again. Do you have peace? Mark, you don't know what's going on in my world. No, no. My Bible says, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. Your peace is not dependent on your circumstance. Peace is not dependent on you. It's dependent on him and him taking the punishment that we deserved. I pray for peace in this room now. Where chaos abounds, would peace come? Thank you that by his wounds we are healed. Bring healing in this place, God. Freedom in this place, God. As we navigate guilt and shame actually are biblically helpful for us sometimes so when i do something wrong there is a shame that comes my conscience says actually this is not right and the shame says actually but the problem is we often and too often defer to the way adam and eve did in the garden we got this bent in our forefathers that come to us we bend we start hiding from god so what is guilt guilt is this 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 reality that i've done something wrong you only needed to see an Australian cricketer put sandpaper in his pants to realize a man who's all of a sudden riddled by guilt. But that shame is so much more. Shame is where guilt and the impact of what we've done becomes part of who we are. It's no longer just what I did. Well, I, I was the guy who looked at pornography. Now I am the pornographer. I'm part of it. I'm in the story. I'm partaking in something. I'm part of it. And shame sets in because it's part of who I am. And the enemy is clever. He keeps reminding believers two years, 20 years, 50 years later. I sat with a man in his last days who said to me, 50, I said, is there anything that you're holding on to, anything that you need to repent for? And he said, 57 years ago, 57 years ago, I fired someone who shouldn't have been fired so they could be a scapegoat for me and their life was ruined. And for 57 years, I've regretted it. And shame has come upon me. No, sir, you weren't designed to walk with shame. Why? Because Jesus said on that cross, he dealt with your guilt. Ma'am, he's dealt with your guilt. I, I shouldn't have given away my sexuality at such a young age just so I could be in a crowd and I feel guilty and ashamed. No, Jesus said I died for you and every lash on that cross was so that you could be free today. And he took his guilt upon him. He took our guilt upon him. And then what's even better, he said, I didn't just take your guilt. I gave you my righteousness. When the Father in heaven looks at me, he doesn't see the brokenness of this reality and the brokenness of my thoughts sometimes and the insecurities that will up at times. He sees the perfection of Jesus as Jesus' blood is poured over me. And Hebrews encourages us and said, you are perfect being made holy. I am not perfectly holy now, but I am perfect when the Father looks at me because he sees the perfection of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Without that God, I could not step in a pulpit and preach. Every time I stand here and worship and the enemy wants to go, you're a hypocrite. And often he's right. But for the blood of Jesus. But for the blood of Jesus. And because righteousness enters the story, Jesus says, I don't just take your guilt. I don't just give you my righteousness. I take your shame upon me and I scorn your shame. He said he scorned shame upon that cross. You don't have to hold into your shame anymore because Jesus ran out of that tomb. You can too. And we get given this gift to run into that freedom. And I've got a picture I want to show you. I encountered the story this week and it's actually, it's, it's haunted me. It's a man named Keith Murdoch. Anyone know the story? If you went here this morning, you might have seen it. And Many years ago in his prime, maybe if we could just put that picture up, please. In his prime, he was an all-black rugby player. In the days when guys weren't really over 100 kgs, this dude was 110, six foot four prop. They had to sew extra sections of cloth into his shirts because they just didn't fit. But he holds the record. Or should I say he's infamous for the record that he is the only all-black rugby player ever to be sent home from a tour. The only one in years and decades upon decades of all-black rugby. And if you know all-black rugby, you know New Zealand. All-blacks are held up here. Everyone else is here. He was so ashamed, felt so guilty for his action, that as the plane, he got sent home. And on the way home, the plane had to land in Australia, and then in Canberra, I think, and then would do another flight to New Zealand. He never made the flight to New Zealand. He got off the plane in Canberra, never went back to his family, never went back to his friends, never went back to his nation, and spent the rest of his life, he died this year at the age of 74. He spent the rest of his life, 50 years, walking around the Australian outback because of guilt and shame. The desperate worst thing about this man's life is not that he died. The worst thing about him is he never lived. A young man of 20-something, with all opportunity in his life, spends the next 50 years in a spacious place called the Australian Outback, and yet somehow the enemy warped his world so that a spacious place became a tomb for a man riddled by guilt and shame. Please don't look around and think, well, I'm in a spacious place. I've got money in the bank. I've got a job. I've got a career. No, it can very well be a tomb, sir or ma'am, if Jesus isn't the one who brought you into that space. What are your tombs? I'll ask you again. The tombs, you need to come out. Jesus rise, died and rose again. So the tomb could never hold us in this life or the next. Jesus said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me. Those who believe in me. Not those who go to church. Not those who give to the poor. Not those who do good deeds and cross grannies across the street. Those who believe in me. Even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus asks this question of us today. Do you believe in me? Do you believe in me? Can we close our eyes, please? Maybe if I could have Jason up to just... The great King David wrote this psalm. 
and I think it's beautiful for us today. Psalm 18. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. What are some of the truths there? Sometimes the enemy is powerful. Sometimes we're in overwhelming situations. But if we will trust Jesus and the resurrection power that we have access to that the apostle Paul spoke of, we can take a hold of the life of Jesus now. Not just hold on to the promise of eternity, but we can live life now. Guilt and shame can be something of your past, can be something of thing. You can point back to people and say, I used to live in that tomb. You see that tomb over there? And people go, well, that, that tomb? No, that tomb. I used to live in that tomb. I used to think it was cool. I used to hold on and tell stories how amazing it was and how justified I was living there. But one day I encountered Jesus. And he said, come out of that tomb as I came out of a tomb and I never went back in. Leave those grave clothes behind. Stop telling the stories of the past where we glorify our brokenness. Tell stories of our future where we glorify Jesus. And he gets all the glory. And what we find is guilt and shame that are two voices that shout, disappear. And I hear the songs of heaven. And I hear the Father of heaven saying, Mine! Mine! That broken person over there, mine, watch his life, my life come upon them. That person over there who gave away what they could not, who took what they shouldn't have, the abuser, the broken, the drug abuser, the pedophile, if they would bow their knee and allow the blood of Jesus to come upon them, mine, come out of the cave and come into life. Oh, Mark, that's scandalous. You can't talk about abusers and pedophiles that way. I want to tell you how scandalous the blood of Jesus is. He doesn't work to our sensitivities. He works to the perfection of the cross. Romans 5. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sue or man, believer or unbeliever, atheist, pessimist, I want to tell you about Jesus who died for you and you need to make a decision. Will you believe him? Will you allow him to bring you out of the cave today? The cave of shame and the cave of guilt, yes. But Mark, I did those things. Yes, you did. But when the Father in heaven looks at you, he sees Jesus. Don't be Keith Murdoch, running around the wilderness thinking you're in space, but actually you're just in a cave of fear, embarrassment, and shame. Let the shame come off. If you need shame to come off you now, I want to pray for you in this moment. Is that all right? I want to pray for you. If you need shame to come off for any action, maybe small, maybe big. 
But you know that, you know what shame does? It keeps us from running to the Father and makes us hide in the trees like Adam and Eve. That's what shame does. If you need shame to come off, I want to pray for you now. Will you lift your hands to Jesus and allow freedom to come? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus. You're so good, Lord. You're so good. I pray right now the reality of how, Father, you see each and every one of these people would be made real now. Spirit of God, you are here. Holy Spirit, revealing the Father, revealing the Son, bringing freedom and life. Take off the labels failure. Take off the labels shameful. Take off the labels used and abused. Take off the labels broken and beaten. Take off the labels that were put on Jesus on that cross and put on the labels of son and daughter of the living God, loved forever, watched forever, adored forever. Right now. We thank you, Jesus. Just while heads are bowed, if you haven't received the love of Jesus, and not just receive now I want to tell you preachers will get up and they'll tell you it'll cost you nothing I want to tell you it'll cost you everything because Jesus doesn't want to be your Sunday weekend moment he wants to be your Lord and Savior if you have not made Jesus Lord and Savior can I ask you to do it now and forever change everything if you haven't made that decision will you put up your hand I'd love to give an opportunity to every person here is there anyone here tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can we stand together? I'm going to hand over to Tyler now, but can I ask you, don't let Easter just pass by. Can I ask you to go read about this man, Jesus, in his word for yourself? And let him reveal himself to you. Stop letting a guy from Durban, who's probably too old for his white shoes, tell you secondhand about this king. Let him reveal himself to you. He will. And at the same time, He'll show you the nails in his hands that were for you. At the same time, he'll show you the scars. And then you'll look in his eyes and you'll see that he's never but loved you. Never. He's never but loved you. He's only ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.